أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم تلك الرسل فضلنا بعضهم على بعض منهم من كلم الله ورفع بعضهم درجات وآتينا عيسى بن مريم البينات وأيدناه بروح القدس ولو شاء الله ما قتتنا الذين من بعدهم من بعد ما جاءتهم البينات من بعد ما جاءتهم البينات ولكن اختلفوا فمنهم من آمن ومنهم من كفر ولكن اختلفوا فمنهم من آمن ومنهم من كفر ولو شاء الله ما قتتلوا ولكن الله يفعل ما يريد الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد uh, Before we start today's part and today's juz of the Quran, the third juz I just want to mention a few, few points Number one, when we did our first session about Surah Al-Fatiha I was discussing the relationship between the Basmala, the Bismillah with the Fatiha and how some scholars consider the Bismillah to be a verse of Surah Al-Fatiha while others do not. But for some reason, that was the first day, the first fast. I kept saying Fatiha instead of Basmala. So I kept saying the Fatiha is a, a verse of the Surah of Fatiha. So that's confused a few people. So I just want to clarify that. That what it means is the relationship between the Bismillah and Surah Al-Fatiha and whether that's a verse of Surah Al-Fatiha or not. Number two... Um, just some suggestions to try to get the best out of this One of them is that if it's possible that you can keep a copy of the Mus'haf, the Qur'an or a, and, and a translation if possible So that you can easily access things quickly if possible That will may, you know, allow you to maybe make a few notes, marks here and there And be able to maybe put some reminders for something that you want to check further And uh, a few other things that I want to mention is I don't know if anybody is writing down thorough notes, but if you are, then that would be really good to let us know. And just any other feedback or any other recommendations, yeah, you can feed that back to us, inshallah, through either my Twitter account, that's at uh, Mufti ARM, uh, or you, if you really have to, then you can email us, but it's better just to do it on the Twitter. And that way we can, inshallah, understand how you guys are uh, dealing with this and how you're finding it, inshallah. But I'll be very interested to know if anybody is taking detailed notes because uh, that would be, inshallah, something very useful for us to know about. Okay, so we are about to start the third juz of the Quran. And we will be uh, looking at, inshallah, the various different aspects here. I just want to give you a quick overall uh, what to expect. Uh, it starts off. Uh, we're going to be treated by some very, very valuable verses. I mean, all the values, uh, verses of the Qur'an are very valuable. But today we're going to be treated by two treasures. One is the Ayatul Kursi, the verse of the throne. And number two is the final verses of Surah Al-Baqarah, which are also considered to be a huge treasure and extremely profound. 
So we're going to be treated to those two verses. We're also going to be treated to several different stories that highlight some very important points. Then eventually we'll do a roundup of Surah Al-Baqarah because Surah Al-Baqarah will end and Surah Ali Imran will begin. And the several different themes here that we'll be looking at just to give you an idea what to look out for. Number one, uh, there's a lot of discussion about spending. Spending in the path of Allah, various examples provided for that, aside from the stories. Then the economic rules of Islam uh, to do with loans, to do with riba, uh, usury, interest, business, and um, witnessing such things. All of this is discussed in great detail in this surah. And then we have the discussion, uh, or in this chapter rather. And then, of course, another great ayah that we have here is just by its mere size, is the longest ayah in the Quran, is also in this juz, in the third juz of the Quran. So, let us begin now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this surah begins uh, with the ending of Surah Al-Baqarah. And as you know that Surah Al-Baqarah so far has got numerous legislative laws, legislative rulings, because it's mostly a Madani surah, a Madinan surah. But then he also has discuss, uh, discussions about the Prophet وسلم, and the other Prophets. So here he actually begins with a discussion about the various messengers. الرسل, this discussion is that while we do not denigrate and put down any messenger, what is mentioned here is that there are the, between the messengers there is a slight hierarchy. Some are superior to others, some do have certain virtues over others. And there's no doubt about that. Allah provides a few examples by saying that some of them Allah spoke to directly. One is Kalimullah, the Musa, Musa alayhi salam. Others we've put above some of the others in terms of their level. Uh, Isa alayhi salam is then uh, spoken about in general. Later on, Isa alayhi salam is going to be spoken about in a lot of detail. And so that's to give an understanding that prophets were different, messengers were different, that also contributed to their ummas, their communities being different. And thus the community of the Prophet Muhammad who is the final and most superior messenger, is the highest of the messengers. So that's a kind of a lesson we get from this. Then the second verse there starts off with spending, encouragement to spending. Ya amanu anfiqu mimma razaqnakum. Spend of that which we've given you. We've given it to you in the first way. We're just telling you to spend from what we have given you. Before a day comes where there'll be no more trade, there'll be no more friendship, no intercession, then you really need it. Then after that, mashallah, after mentioning these, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then treats us to one of the most profound verses in the Quran, one of the mightiest verses in the Quran. And there's a reason why it's so, and that's the Ayatul Kursi, the verse of the throne. It's only made up of about 50 words, 50 words if you put it all together, and you can cluster them into 10 clauses. So if you split the, that, that one long verse up, you can split it into 10 clauses, 10 points which are made. And that's, as I said, with 50 words. And in there, 17 times is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned. 17 times. Either directly or indirectly, either allusion to him or explicitly one of his names. So that, that is the verse. There are numerous fada'il and virtues of this verse along it, with it being a source of protection. Most of the time, in many, many cases around the world in Muslim families, it is probably one of the first 
after some of the small surahs on Surah Al-Fatih, it's probably one of the first verses, long verses that are memorized by children. Because I guess the idea is that we want our children to be protected. There's a huge story, a very profound story of the, how, how we came to know that this, this ayah is a, uh, is a very, very secure source of protection from all evils out there. Jinn, um, evil influences and other things of that nature. So I guess parents like their children to know that first. So it is a tradition. If your, parent, if your children do not know it yet, you should definitely get them to memorize it. It's a beautiful, very moving, very lyrical uh, verse of the Qur'an. And uh, inshallah, that will be a great source of protection. After that, the discussion moves on to the few stories. The discussion moves on to a few very profound stories. And one of them is the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam and Namrud ibn Kan'an, who was this really arrogant ruler who lived at his time. And Ibrahim alayhi salam had to uh, confront him on an occasion, he, this, this ruler used to consider himself to be the go a god. Like literally, used to consider that he's got the power to do different things. So such foolishness, where Ibrahim challenged him to say that, you know, my lord, the true lord, gives life to people and can take life away and give death. So this guy foolishly to try to prove that, get somebody who's about to be crucified or something, a guilty guy and sets him free gets another innocent guy off the, off the street and puts him in prison saying, I can do the same thing. But eventually, when he's challenged with where, where the sun is brought from each day, which is the uh, sun comes out the east, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides uh, the movement of the sun from the east, that was something that he couldn't, so he, he became silent. Then the next story that's mentioned, again, you can go into the detailed tafsir books and read this to your heart's content. Here, we just giving you a prelude of all of these things. Number two, the, the next story is about This uh, in verse two, uh, 259 refers to Uzair one of the prophets of the Bani Israel, Ezra. His name is Ezra and the biblical name is Ezra. He goes past the destruction of Jerusalem, such a glorified city that was totally destroyed and he just laments, he just thinks, wrings his hands, he just thinks, how is this going to be brought back? And amazingly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts him to sleep. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts him to sleep for about a hundred years. And then after that, he's, he, 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 he comes back and mashallah, there it is again, you know, Jerusalem is there again. So these are a number of stories. Then after that, you've got a very profound story of Ibrahim alayhi salam again. Where Ibrahim asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, can you please show me how you bring dead back to life? That's a very difficult thing for people to think, right? That, that's a very difficult thing. It's throughout, I think it's a perennial problem, it seems, right? That uh, over the ages, when people die, they, because we've never actually seen anybody coming back, we think, how is that going to be possible that God has said so, that people are going to come back? And there's going to be a resurrection. And it's going to be a whole new life. After you've become withered, decomposed, how's that going to be possible? So Ibrahim alayhi salam, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he had that special connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, Arini mawta. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fondly asks him, Awalam tu'min, like don't you believe? Allah knows. Right? 
أولم تؤمن قال بلى ولكن ليطمئن قلبي just I want I want to see this in action so then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him what to do to take uh, the meat of two or four birds four different animals and then split them up mix them up then split them up and then call on them in the name of Allah and they'll all come back as a special that was a special miracle that happened for Ibrahim alayhi salam to provide Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that here now what I want to mention is that you, since uh, yesterday and the day before, Surah Al-Baqarah, we've heard this discussion about coming back to life, resurrection, importance of resurrection. Surah Al-Baqarah has actually five instances where resurrection is mentioned, bringing the dead back to life is mentioned. We're going to just quickly uh, re- uh, recap those. So the first is the story, if you remember, Surah Al-Baqarah, the Baqarah story, right? Which was the whole reason for them sacrificing, slaughtering the cow. So that was one that individual became alive uh, to to say who had killed him. So that's the first story. Then you had, uh, which we didn't really go into into too much detail, where the Bani Israel, where the Israelites, they wanted to see Allah. Allah, they wanted to see him in real life. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had them all killed. He gave them all death. But then he let them come back to life. And then after that, you have the story of those people which we discussed at the end of yesterday's, where they tried to run away from the plague. Then they all died. Allah then gave them life again. So that's a, a third instance. The fourth instance is this Uzair, this Ezra story for 100 years. And the fifth one is Ibrahim, story. Well, it wasn't about him, but it was the birds or the animals that he had to, sacri- uh, to slaughter and then they came back to life. So you've got five discussions about that. And then of course you've got the other one that will come about in Surah Al-Kahf where for 300 years, it's not about coming back to life there, it's just that somebody is put to sleep for 300 years in a silence, right? In a silence which we'll discuss later. So now this uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, it's going to in the following, in the final parts of this Surah Al-Baqarah, in the, in the remaining verses, it's going to discuss some major themes. Number one, it's going to reinforce the idea of Islam being the true religion. Number two, speaking about what it means to be a true human being, an insan. Number three, a huge discussion of infaq fi sabilillah, spending in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As I mentioned yesterday, that is something by which our deen and the people in our deen remain firm and strong. Money is needed, it's important. Just needs to be done in the right way, in the right hands. Then it discusses brotherhood, sisterhood. Uh, It discusses love. It discusses excellence and goodness and beautification in things, especially in the deen. There is basically nothing in the Quran. I mean, already you've seen how many things have just been discussed in two Jews, and today you'll see how many more things are discussed. And then you know, you'd be scratching your head to find something that is not discussed in some way or the other, either specifically or either in a general sense in the Quran. And inshallah, we're here to, we're here to try to understand that. Anything of goodness, it's all mentioned in the Quran. The next big theme here, starting from مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ verse 261 and onwards, is spending a person's wealth in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to do good with. Subhanallah. Just today I, got a, I received a question from someone who says that he's, got a, he's a Muslim, his sister is not Muslim and she's suffering. She doesn't have any money. And he set up a launch good or something uh, to get some money just to make, let her survive during these times. And he's talked to other Muslims to try to help because he's a Muslim. And he's saying, no, no, we can't 
uh, so we, we, we can't uh, give charity to non-Muslims. And that's completely wrong. The only thing you cannot give to non-Muslims is zakat. Zakat is strictly for Muslims. But every other charity is allowed for non-Muslims as well. And you get a reward for giving to non-Muslims. If they need, you get a, as much of a reward uh, uh, for, for any other needy person. Of course, if the person's a Muslim, there is the aspect of him being a Muslim. And that's why you may get a bit more reward in some cases there. But you do get the reward for that. So people should consider that, especially when you're living among non-Muslims. Whoever's in need, they're all the bondsmen of Allah. And Allah loves those who do good to his bonds people. Now, a few examples, some very vivid examples, graphic, explicit examples are provided here by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It says, the way to spend in the path of Allah, I alluded to this, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that we want to observe our money increase, whereas the deen is all about the ghayb. So basically, Allah provides one example. He says that take a farmer who puts one seed in of corn, right, one seed in of wheat, that then produces the, the, uh, the, its plant, now within that there's going to maybe seven uh, there's going to be seven ears of corn or seven ears of barley or or wheat each one of those seven is going to have 70 seeds inside so your one seed has multiplied to 7 times 70 right somebody wants to do that maths 7 times 70 that's what you get out of it the other example allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides is an opposite example is famathaluhu that those who spend Maybe spend even in the path of Allah. Maybe they're building huge mosques, but they're doing it to show, they're doing it for the wrong reason, without sincerity, for another ulterior motive. Allah says, فَمَثَلُهُ كَمَثَلِ صَفْوَانِ عَلَيْهِ تُرَابِ فَأَصَابَهُ وَابِلْ فَتَرَكَهُ صَلْدًا لَا يَقْدِرُونَ عَلَى شَيْءٍ مِمَّا كَسَبُوا And this is uh, verse 264, which talks about another farmer, for instance, who goes and finds a place, he thinks it looks very good, but what it is, is that it's a very... Uh, it's a big boulders. It has a small amount of soil on top. Somebody scattered a bit of soil and then he goes and puts his seeds in there. And suddenly the rain comes, just a bit of rain or whatever, and it just basically washes all the soil and seed and everything away and he's left with nothing. So even though he may have done something big and produced something huge, but he gets nothing out of that. That's why sincerity and ikhlas of one pound, one dollar, one rupee spent in the path of Allah is huge compared to uh, so much more spent without any, uh, without any sincerity. So those are the examples that are provided in these verses. And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a number of other, I mean, you can tell that the Quran is very, uh, uh, is very restricted in its words, right? Because it mentions everything within, you know, 114 surahs of the Quran of varying sizes. So it's very careful how much the, the, the Quran wastes no words. There's no verbosity in the Quran, right? The, the, there's, no, uh, the, there's no extra superfluous information in the Quran. Everything is very relevant. So now, spending so, so much time uh, on the concept of spending and how to make your spending well worth it and beneficial and pure, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides a number of other things through the following verses from 265 and onwards. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, number one, if you don't have anything to spend, what do you do? After listening to all of these virtues, hey, I want to spend as well, but I got nothing to spend, I'm in need. So what do you do? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, well, at least speak a good word. At least speak a good word and uh, um, th that in itself of making people قَوْلٌ مَعْرُوفٌ وَمَغْفِرَةٌ خَيْرٌ مِّنْ صَدَقَةٍ يَتْبَعُهَا أَذَى Right, saying a good word 
and forgiveness is superior to that charity which is followed by harm, oppression. Hey, I helped you out. You need to do this for me. Calling in your favors afterwards. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says another adab or etiquette of charity is that make sure that you only give that which is good. Um, make sure that you only give that which is good and pure. Which is, Ya ladina amanu anfiqu min tayyibati ma kasabtum. Right, verse 267. Another one that we forgot is, uh, do not uh, uh, ob obliterate and make void your charity by reminders, hey, I gave you, or by following it up with a difficulty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides all of this guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look, you can give charity openly if you want to. There's a benefit in that. And you can give charity silently where nobody knows. That's superior. Because in the, one, in the first one, you have to have a very pure intention. Because when you give something and everybody's watching, immediately shaitan comes, our nafs comes. And we think like, hey, they're going to call me very uh, generous or, uh, or very righteous or so on. So that's why you can give it openly. Because one of the benefits of giving it openly sometimes is so that you encourage others to do the same. So if somebody does want to match all the donations collected in a fundraising program, and he openly declares that, that's fine, it's up to his intention. That's what's important, right? So Allah says, in tubdu sadaqati fa ni'imma hiya wa in tukhfuha, that's verse 271. Then, Surah Al-Baqarah, in terms of the other uh, legislative rulings that are mentioned here, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically speaks about a very good recipient of charity, lilfuqara'i ladin uhsiru fi sabidillah. لا يستطيعون ضربا في الأرض يحسبهم الجاهل أغنياء من التعفف verse 273 that's a very important one who are the best people that you can give your charity to saying the best are sometimes those who do not ask and when you look at them you think that they, they're okay that they're even wealthy in some cases but they're actually in need but their sense of dignity and honor and their trust in Allah stops, and stops them from questioning seek out those kind of people not the people who come and beg in your face, but it's better to seek out these kind of people. And subhanAllah, those who will seek these people out, they'll get a huge amount of reward, inshaAllah. Then we begin the second quarter of the surah, uh, of the chapter rather. Uh, so in terms of the ahkam and the rulings that are mentioned there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now really, really takes to task the whole concept of riba. He wants to completely abolish it. Because remember in Makkah Mukarramah, uh, when Islam began, uh, and prior to Islam, riba was rife. Right, usury was rife. It used to happen, they used to do compound interest. If you couldn't pay up in one year, then that entire amount, including the interest, becomes the capital. And then there's an interest on top of that. Then in the third year, if that continues, again, that whole amount, including interest, becomes capital, and then interest on top of that, which, is, uh, which, which was extremely oppressive. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَمْحَقُ اللَّهُ الرِّبَى وَيُرْبِ الصَّدَقَاتِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will obliterate and will basically make null anything with riba. And lots of people have had this experience where they've dealt in riba for a very long time and they've just suffered at the end. And those people who didn't do that give sadaqah instead. Just look at the example of Abdurrahman ibn Awf the way he built his business up. Literally just by spending in the path of Allah, he would spend and he'd make a lot more. He says, I can, you know, uh, you can give a 10 uh, in the morning and make a thousand by the night that needs a bit of tawakkul but believe me I, I can say from experience that this is absolutely true it's a, it's a word of the Quran I'm just saying from experience as well 
Now what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does here is that as opposed to everything else, this is one of the severest warnings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides, maybe even in the entire Quran, from a, in, a world, in the sense of the world. Okay, lots of discussion about punishments of the hereafter. But in terms of punishment in this world or declaration, in this world, one of the most severest warnings are given with regards to those who consume the interest. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلُوا Like if you do not give up uh, you know, the, your riba, etc. فَأْذَنُوا بِحَرْبٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Listen to the announcement. Hear the announcement of a war from Allah and His Messenger. That is such a severe warning in this world is uh, very limited, you find that in terms of uh, these kind of warnings, and that is what's mentioned here. Then after that, something very interesting is that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses in, in you know, when you, when you look back at these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you see that He really discusses the benefits, the virtues, the increase, the spiritual benefits of giving sadaqah and the virtues and adab and so on. And then he discusses lots of the harms of interest and oppressive economics. Oppressive economics. SubhanAllah, this time right now that we're going through tells you why riba is such a problem. Because they know that people, you know, need whatever they have, right? In terms of the economic status of this time. That's why they've just put down the interest rates completely, right? It's just completely down. I don't know why they just don't put it to zero. They've still got it in a small percentage. But that just shows that this should be the default status, that it should be zero. Right? They can only take advantage when people have excess money and greed. Right? So when they have that, when the economy, economy is supposedly doing well and there's a big bubble, then that's actually further magnified by interest. But this is the real sense, that this is how it should be. Where it should be zero. So... These are a few things that we just want to give a quick comparison because Allah takes so much time doing that here, right? To spend so many verses on that. The differences between sadaqah and interest. Because it's so difficult for people to get out of interest. They just see it as such a logical way to do things. Why should I put my own money? And I've spoken to people about it. Why should I risk my own money? I take money 3% from the bank. I'm making 7% profit. So I'm, I'm not risking my own money. The 3% I give, I still make 4%. You know, or 10% or whatever. Why should I risk my own money? Subhanallah, there was a, a family who had a number of property, hotels, etc. This is what he told me about 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And then I called him after about 10 years and they were suffering when the downturn happened in 2007-8. So these are the difference quickly. Number one, sadaqah is one of those things where Allahu Akbar, they're totally two opposites. So in sadaqah there's a concept of ihsan, of benefiting somebody, of assisting someone, of purity, right? of pure intention, of mutual assistance. Whereas in riba, it's all based on, it's based on bukhl, it's based on, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, miserliness, uh, greed, uh, the dirt, uh, uh, interest and all of that is basically the dirt of the wealth. And on very selfish nature. Number two, sadaqah is in, in when you give sadaqah it's much easier because when you give sadaqah it's maybe difficult to give in the beginning but then you've forgotten because it's gone. It's gone to Allah now. You don't have to worry about when am I going to get it back. 
right? Because when you give a charity, you give it to give. In interest loan, you're waiting for it to come back. When is it going to come back, right? So there's that. Then uh, also another thing is that whereas when it comes to riba, it's about when am I going to get my money back and when am I going to get the excess? When am I going to get the additional riba as well? Number three, with giving charity, you're increasing the mutual love between people. And whereas with riba, there's lots of hatred that's, especially when things go wrong, then subhanAllah, then you start hating the person who's charging you, right? And that's why they call them loan sharks and money lenders of that nature. Number, the, 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 another point is that in sadaqah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they, they've got the, they've, they've got an announcement from Allah of love. So Allah loves those who give sadaqah and charity, right? And forgiveness as well. Whereas those who consume interest, who deal with interest, for them there's curse. And there's also the announcement of a war against them. That's why uh, emotionally as well, it's a, it's a big problem. Emotionally as well, it's a big problem. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those people who deal in interest, they, they will come like the one, like possessed individuals. There are certain signs of such people in this world who are into this quick, quick gambling and quick, quick uh, turnover things where they're always constantly uh, furtively looking at where they're going to make the extra buck. But in the hereafter, they'll come out like that anyway. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues the discussion about business. And there you've got the longest verse in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whenever you've got to deal with somebody, make sure you write it down. Certain etiquette to avoid difficulties, to avoid arguments, disputes. Uh, misunderstandings and thus uh, quarrels and breakup of families which generally happens because people are very casual about these things so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ya ayyuhalladhina write it down record it this is as i said the longest verse which also gives us an understanding that he put it all together it must be something symbolic and significant in that because there's lots of other discussions like the riba discussion he didn't put that all in one verse he put that in several different verses. So there must be something to a significance in that as well. So anyway, these are the following things that Allah tells us in this, uh, gen, uh, uh, in this general verse. Number one, make sure that you write down any credit. Any credit or loans or anything where anything is given on credit, make sure you write it down. Record it, report it. Nowadays it's much easier if you do it online, right? Because everything gets recorded, right? Generally that becomes easier by default. But have an intention to follow the verse. You get rewarded for that then. Uh, number two, um, make sure that whenever you do have a credit agreement with somebody, you know the time period, right? That I need it back by this time. Make sure that's mentioned. Don't keep it open. Uh, number three, that's why he's saying, إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ musamma, right? To a uh, fixed time. Uh, number three, if you're on a journey, I mean, nowadays, even on a journey, you can write these things down because you can die on a phone, but uh, the Quran is talking about places where you don't have that access and you can't get pen to paper and so on, then maybe you can use a collateral, right? If you want security, you can use a collateral, which is you give something of your asset, a valuable asset for them to hold. That's allowed as well. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does say to make sure that nobody takes this overboard, that I go to the shop and I buy something there, I pay the money, I, I take it. The, while they give you a receipt because there's always about exchanges and refunds nowadays but you don't need to write it down if it's just hand to hand straightforward you don't need to write that down there's no need to write it down because that would uh, cause unnecessary difficulty so there's a huge balance in the sharia about this
Now, since Surah Al-Baqarah has discussed Salat, Zakat, fasting, Hajj, Jihad, charity, Riba, uh, economics, Talaq, Idda, Nikah, etc. The ending of it, the ending of the Surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها That relates to everything before it. So Allah will not make somebody responsible for what they do not have the ability to do. A blind person can never be forced to look at something and be punished if he doesn't. Whatever Allah has charged us with, it's things that we can do and should be able to do. So for example, even in fasting, Allah has given us dispensations. If you're traveling and you can't fast, you don't have to do it up later. If you're sick, you can't fast, you can do it up later. There are dispensations because Allah does not want to place a burden upon people that they cannot bear. SubhanAllah, the last verse, or the last three verses from Lillahi Mafi Samawat, and then uh, which is uh, verse number 284, and then after the Amin al Rasul is considered to be the Khawatim of Suratul Baqarah. Huge virtues about that. Uh, the, the hadith mentioned that if you read from Amin al Rasul to the end, and again, that's something you should also have your children memorized in yourselves. If you read that, in the evening uh, when going to sleep, it says, Kafatahu, they will suffice him. They will suffice that individual, either suffice him from the right the Quran has, uh, that they must read uh, a certain portion a day. If they don't, but they read at least this at the end of the day, inshallah, that should suffice. Could be protection, it could be uh, protection for your needs of the world. So many different things. That's why it's a good idea to read Amin al Rasul until the end uh, and understand it as far as possible, also before you go to sleep. Now, these are some very important verses. And I just want to mention, there's a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim which discuss the backdrop of the revelation of this verse. Firstly, Allah revealed, لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَإِن تُبْدُوا مَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ أَوْ تُخْفُوهُ يُحَاسِبْكُمْ بِهِ اللَّهِ If you reveal that which is in yourself or you keep it hidden, Allah is going to reckon you. And Allah is going to take, Allah is going to take account of that. Now, when the Sahaba saw this, Remember, they wanted 100% grades in everything of their life that they did. So they got very perturbed. They said that, look, you know, for outside, we, you know, there's things that we can regulate and we can control. But when it comes to thoughts, we have no control. And if we're going to be accountable for our thoughts as well, you know, fleeting thoughts that come through the mind, shaitan gives you thoughts, we're dead. So they came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, how can we fulfill this? We're in trouble now. And the Prophet ﷺ said something very interesting. And that is such a... Th th that is such a touching understanding of that. Um, the Prophet ﷺ said, look, do you want to be like the people before you who said, we heard and we disobeyed, like we can't do this, this is too difficult? Instead say, Amanna. Say that we believe and we obey. And they said that. They listened immediately and they said that. And then it mentions in the hadith that it made it so easy. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the next part, which is Aman al-Rasul, to say that, you will not be taken to task for what you do not have the ability. So essentially the idea of this is, Allah revealed the first part first, tested them with it. As soon as they passed the test to say, okay, we're going to do our best, ya Allah. Allah then lessened it on them, the burden upon them and said, no, you will not be taken to task. That's why the dua in there is very powerful. رَبَّنَا لَا تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْنَا وَلَا تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْنَا إِسْرًا كَمَا حَمَلْتَهُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِنَا And then رَبَّنَا لَا تُحَمِّلْنَا مَا لَا طَاقَةَ لَنَا بِهِ 
right? Do not let us bear the burdens like the people before us had to bear some really difficult masail among the uh, Bani Israel and so on that they had to, uh, laws that they had to follow. And do not make us do those things. Do not l- let us have a burden of such thing that we do not have the ability to bear. And so on until the end. Very profound verse. I would suggest you check it up. Now, subhanAllah, we move on to Surat Ali Imran. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to complete this as well and the other surah just like Surah Al-Baqarah. Surah Ali Imran now starts in the third juz after 286 verses of uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, the longest surah, in the, uh, the longest surah in the Quran. This surah, Surah Ali Imran, is definitely Madani. Right? It's definitely Madinan. That's why get ready for a lot more laws. Because the Medinan verses, <clears throat> they incorporate a lot more laws as, a, as opposed to just establishing the basis of the faith. It includes that as well. Now, the reason it's called Surat Ali Imran, I mean, you can split this entire uh, up in 200 verses approximately. Right? 200 verses. So it's smaller than Surat Al-Baqarah. And people have split it up into thematic sections. So um, according to those, what they call Ruku is what you can read uh, per rak'at uh, of a 20 rak'at tarawih and, and uh, still finish the Quran right in good time. They call ruku, so it's got 20 ruku's in here. So 20 major sections, uh, thematic sections you can call them, different themes. Why is it called Al-Imran? Al means the family of. And Imran, obviously that's the name of someone. So it's the family of Imran. The reason is that there's a huge discussion about the family of Imran. The family of Imran, Imran, his wife Hanna, Right, uh, Bintu Fakhuda, we're going to speak about her. Then his daughter Maryam, Bintu Imran, which is Mary. Right, and uh, then after that, her son Isa alayhi salam. So there's a huge discussion about that, but it's not entirely just exclusively about that. But that is one of the big themes of this surah, and that's why the surah is called Surah Ali Imran. According to a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It has huge virtues. Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Ali Imran are called the Zahrawain, the two illuminated things, the two illuminated chapters. Or you can say the sun and the moon of the Quran because they, hold some, uh, they, they make up a good portion of the Quran with a lot of the basic rulings that are required for Muslims to understand. So the Prophet actually encouraged that people read this and understand both of these surahs. And inshallah, Allah accept this endeavor of ours right now in, uh, in insha'Allah for that purpose as well Now, whereas in Surah Al-Baqarah You had a lot of discussion The primary discussion was to the Bani Israel Though there was a discussion with the, uh, with the Nasara And the Munafiqeen and so on as well, the hypocrites But in Surah, Al- Surah Ali Imran The focus more uh, is to do with the Nasara And the, the, the Nazarenes, the Christians as such the People of the Christian faith And that's probably very relevant to Ali Imran because that's Mary, Jesus, peace be upon him. So there's a lot of discussion about that. Again, the surah begins in a similar way to Surah Al-Baqarah. Alif Lam Mim. Thalikal kitabu la rayba fi Here it's Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. There is no God, ex- uh, Allah, there is no God except He. He is the living and a self-subsisting. Then again, as I mentioned before, that with the huruf muqatta'at, you generally have a discussion about the Qur'an. So he says, نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ Allah has revealed the book upon you with the truth. مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ Which confirms everything that they had in front of them from the previous nations before. وَأَنزَلَ التَّوْرَاتَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ And he's also the one that's revealed the Torah and the Injil. Now, 
one of the reasons why a lot of the verses here were revealed, right? In fact, uh, 80 verses of the 200 verses, about 80 of these verses were revealed on a particular occasion. It's a very interesting occasion. It's when there was a delegation from the, uh, from the Nazarenes, the Christians of Najran, came to Medina Munawwara. Right? Remember, this was a new faith, and they wanted, they, they wanted to have a discussion. So it's kind of very interesting discussion, which I'll leave you to read in, de in detail. But the main thing is that uh, there are two types of verses that you'll find in here regarding that discussion. One is... Uh, one is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says He reminds us from this verse number 7 Here there's a division of the two types of verses That will be found in the Quran The first are the muhkamat The unambiguous, absolute Where there's not much of a There's not much of a scope of any other meaning They're very clear cut and explicit Those are the, um, the, those are the Ummul kitab They're the main uh, they're, they're the main um, unambiguous words, uh, verses, but then you have other verses or other mentions in the Quran, like Alif Lam Mim and so on, or Ruh and things like that, which are called the Mutashabihat, the ambiguous ideas. There's a purpose behind ambiguous ideas, uh, some of which we discussed earlier, but don't get confused between the two. Do not make the Ummul Kitab, do not take the firm, absolute verses and try to problematize them. And try to bring about different ideas in them, right? And likewise, don't look at the mutashabi and insist on one meaning only. So that is why Allah then says that uh, those people who have some deviance in their heart, they go after uh, uh, after the uh, ambiguous ones to try to create a fitna and a challenge and a dispute and uh, problems in the community. Then that's followed by two. رَبَّنَا لَا تُزِقْ قُلُوبَنَا A Qur'anic dua That oh Allah do not cause our hearts to deviate After you've guided us And grant us mercy from you That's a dua that we should be making every day Really Now It carries on um, To uh, Beyond verse 18 It will carry, carry on then To discussions of Tawheed Because remember It's to do with the Christians And they used to believe Jesus is the son of God Right So that's why a big discussion is to do with Tawheed in here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then critiques the religion, the, the, the so-called later religion of the Christians and Jews and the problems that have crept in there after the changes uh, over the centuries. And he speaks about also some of the crimes committed by them, some of the excesses committed by them. So he, for example, he talks about them killing the prophets, for, uh, uh, spilling blood in the world. Spilling blood of innocent people Another one is to basically oppress people And take their rights away And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to tell the believers now That that is something that you need to avoid And in fact he also mentions that In verse 28 That you should not take them as Bosom close friends You should not take them as such close friends That you become impacted by their way You can have colleagues right? And that comes more later in other parts of the Quran But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is is, is basically just saying that you should, you should avoid that. At the expense of believers, you take them as your close ones instead. Um, then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about, uh, there's three stories, uh, three very important uh, stories, very significant stories that are mentioned. 
And obviously that relates to the Ali Imran. Right? A uh, number of extraordinary events are taking place. Now you've probably heard these stories. I'm not going to go into great detail about them, but you generally hear about them around 25th of December when we have our lectures and programs at that time. The story of Jesus, peace be upon him, his miraculous birth, the Islamic understanding. I'll give you a summary of that. But we have some lectures on Zamzam Academy where you can go, go and listen uh, to that, inshallah, in more detail. But anyway, the idea is that you have uh, Imran and his wife, whose name is Hanna, Bintu Faqooth. She once sees this bird having children and looking after them. And as a mother, she's very old. But as a, as a woman, women have this natural state, emotion to want children, to bear children. All right? Um, so when she sees that, she makes a desire, a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this teaches us a lesson, especially, I mean, I've got a whole section on this in my marriage book about dealing with infertility. Because that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to deal with. It's extremely huge pressure, not just on themselves, but from people around them as though, you know, it's in their hands. So like, when are you going to have a child? Or when are you going to have a son? Subhanallah, this is oppression. You should, you, should, you should let people be and just make dua for them. But anyway, there's a strategy uh, taught to us here. So, Maryam alayhi salam, uh, sorry, Hanna, she says that, inni nadartu, Basically, she's saying that any child that I'm going to get here, oh Allah, I'm going, to, I'm going to dedicate them to the masjid. Now, generally, the temple. Generally, it was men who were dedicated to the service of the temple. So she expected to get a son. So then, anyway, she then becomes pregnant. Right? She becomes pregnant. And uh, then she, قَالَتْ رَبِّ إِنِّي وَضَعْتُهَا أُنثَى So, you know, from... Verse 36 and onwards right? When she actually gave birth She gives birth to a daughter rather than a son So she exclaims in surprise That I've given birth to a daughter Now she's wondering Now at around the same time Her husband passes away Now the child is going to be dedicated So against the norm it seems They accepted her at the temple And Zakaria Who was actually related right, to, uh, to Maryam uh, This is Maryam who's born so uh, he looks after her. Now he's looking after her. The story is well known. Uh, he's got her in a chamber. She lives in a room. And no man, you know, only he looks after her. There's no other man. There's no touching with any man at all. But then suddenly she fi he finds that there's these amazing fruits there, right? Imagine mangoes in December in England, right? I mean, it happens actually if you get them from South America. But I mean, uh, but basically, imagine mangoes in India in December. It's not going to happen, right? But basically, the idea is that they're getting, she's getting all of these, uh, these fruits out of season. So he's wondering, he's saying, Anna laki hadha. Where, you getting, where are you getting this from? So it, then the way the Quran says it, Zakaria is very old. His wife is old. Say, some say over 100. And she's also known to be barren. But subhanAllah, they make a dua. Zakaria Alisa makes a dua. And subhanAllah, sure enough, his wife becomes pregnant. So one idea is that if you can't have children, then make an intention that, Oh Allah, if you give me a child, I will dedicate that child to the service of your deen. I will make them a hafiz. I will make them an alim, alima. Right, if it's a girl, and I'm going to dedicate them to 
the service of the deen. Have a pious reason, motivation for doing that. And there's several other suggestions that uh, there are there as well. So anyway, that then happens. And uh, mashallah, uh, she, she was such a, she was such a uh, you know, significant factor for Zakaria alayhi salam uh, making that dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him a son and his name is Yahya. He's a cousin of Isa alayhi salam. Right? Isa alayhi salam is going to come soon as well. So first he talks about Yahya alayhi salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Yahya alayhi salam, I'm going to give you a child with all of these. I'm going to give you a child who is Yubashiruka bi Yahya musaddiqan bi kalimatim min Allah wa sayyida wa hasura wa nabiyya min al-salin. He's also going to be a prophet. He's going to be very chaste. He's going to be a prophet as well. And he's going to be a leader. And he's wondering, how is, am I going to have a child? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tells him, okay, do not do this for such long and so on. And then he has the child. Then after that, the discussion is about now Maryam alayhi salam, who is a long discussion. She goes to Baytul Lahm, Bethlehem. And there she's going to have a child. Suddenly, you know, when she discovers that she's pregnant after this encounter with an angel, right, who doesn't touch her but says, I'm going to blow the spirit in you. And then after that, when she becomes pregnant, she's hiding it, so she has to run away. She runs away to Baytul Lahm. And there she gives the child as a miraculous Surah Maryam. The chapter of Maryam is full uh, discourse about that in detail, which we don't have the time to go to right now. But then the rest of that discussion is here, which you can inshallah read. Isa a.s. is called in this part, Isa a.s. is called the Karimatullah, the word of Allah, because he was born from the word of Allah um, given to Maryam a.s. Then after that, it's talked that he's going to have ilm and taqwa, zuhd and ibadah, and so on. And uh, that's about Yahya a.s. as well. Then what we have is we, we will leave the more difficult, uh, more, more comprehensive story of Isa alayhi salam to Surat Maryam because that's where it's told in a bit more detail. Some factors are mentioned here and other details are there. But the other point here now is that Isa alayhi salam begins as he grows up now in the Quran or in the Bible for that matter, in the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever, in the New Testament. The discussion of Isa alayhi salam is only the first birth stage, the miraculous birth. Then he suddenly disappears. There's no mention of him in the Quran. Then suddenly he reappears and he's giving da'wah, he's propagating, he's inviting people to Allah when he's about 30 or so years old. So in between, there's hardly any discussions mentioned even in the uh, New Testament or in the Quran for that matter. Unfortunately, the Bani Israel of the time, even though Jesus, peace be upon him, was from them, they did not believe in him. Some people believe, but majority of them, they did not believe. And eventually the, the story takes place where he is now uh, going to be assassinated. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا أَحَسَّ عِيسَى This is verse 52. فَلَمَّا أَحَسَّ عِيسَى مِنْهُمُ الْكُفْرَ قَالَ مَنْ أَنصَارِي إِلَى اللَّهِ When he realizes that they're going to disbelieve, they're not going to believe, he says, okay, who are my assistants? Who are my helpers to Allah? The Hawariyin, these are his very special companions. They say, نَحْنُ أَنصَارُ اللَّهِ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَشَدْ بِأَنَّا مُسْلِمُونَ So then, Allah finishes that part off by saying, وَمَكَرُوا وَمَكَرَ اللَّهِ They had all the strategies and plots in place to finish him off. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's strategy was greater. That's why he was lifted. So now, that very quickly, the story of Isa alayhi salam is that he was sitting in the room, he found out that he, they were coming to take him away or assassinate, whatever it was. And one story is that he asked one of his uh, students, uh, who, disciples, that who will 
basically go out like me with my garments on and they will have to face whatever the issue will be outside and then they'll be close to me in paradise. So one of them did that, he went out, he was made to look like Isa salam, and he was the one that was crucified. And Isa salam was raised up to the heavens. That's why this will come in the next, in the sixth Jews we'll be discussing this in detail. I'm not going to go into it right now. Right? So we'll leave the discussion there about that, inshallah. So just wait until the sixth Jews when we discuss that. Now, then after that, last quarter, if Allah Ya Isa inni wa Allah tells Isa salam that I'm going to eventually give you death, I'm going to raise you to me, and I'm going to purify you from those who disbelieved. Right? And I'm going to make you among those right, who um, will be followed until the day of judgment in the right way. I'm going to, actually, I'm going to put you above those who've disbelieved. Um, eventually, you'll have to come. So eventually, Isa is going to come back, but not as a prophet. When he comes back, he'll come back as an ummati, uh, one of the members of the nation of the Prophet but he doesn't come back in the capacity of a prophet, though he is a prophet, but he doesn't come back actively as a, you know, uh, playing the part of a prophet. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, talks about what exactly happened is that after these verses and after this discussion, which is in a lot of detail with the Nasranis, the Nazarene, the Christians, eventually they refuse to believe. They refuse to believe. So now something very interesting happens. Allah subhanahu wa uh, uh, discusses what the Prophet said, Verse 61. This was kind of the culminating end that when they did not listen, uh, Prophet gave them an ultimatum. He says, Okay, fine, you bring. Now, out of those that came, there were about 60 people that came, out of which about uh, 14 of the members of this delegation that had come from Najran, of the Christians of Najran, out of the 60 people there, right? Um, um, 14 of them were some huge religious, uh, uh, the religious and knowledgeable scholars of this. So now what the Prophet ﷺ challenges them to is that you bring everybody that you want. I'll bring myself, my women and my children and then we will do mubahala. Right? What is mubahala? Mubahala is that we'll do mutual deprecation, mutual cursing. That basically will say that if I'm incorrect in my position, then I be cursed. And you will say that if you're incorrect, you'll be cursed. He gave that challenge to them. Despite the fact that there were 14 of their huge ministers there with them, they refused to come. They refused to uh, take part in this. Right? And over the course of history, there have been different Muslim scholars who actually gave this challenge. It's not been taken up yet. It's a very dangerous thing to do. I mean, you know, especially when you're not 100%, right? So then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, okay, fine, if you're not going to believe or whatever, then Allah says, قُلْ to the Prophet وسلم, يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ O people of the book, تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ Come to a formula of faith that is universal between us, it's common between us, the common expression, the common formula of faith, which is, that what all of you had as well, until you changed it. Monotheism. Right? That we believe only in Allah, we don't ascribe any partners to Him, and we don't take each other to be lords either. 
If they refuse, then you say at least I am of the submitters. Then it carries on. There's some other discussion about Ibrahim salam. Again, always there's a discussion that ends with Ibrahim salam saying, مَا كَانَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ يَهُودِيًّا إِبْرَاهِيمُ يَهُودِيًّا وَلَا نَصْرَانِيًّا Ibrahim salam was not Yahudi, he was not Nasrani. وَلَكِنْ كَانَ حَنِيفًا مُسْلِمًا He was the submitter, Muslim. And Hanif, which means a pure monotheist. So Muslims are called Muslims with, the word, with their action. It's not related to a place. Muslim is not related to a place or a person. It's not called Muhammadans, right? We're called Muslim. And Muslim means the submitters, those who submit to the will of Allah. Warns that there are people of the book who will want you to deviate. They'd love for you to deviate as well. And finally, the surah finishes with... Uh, the discussion that uh, they're not going to listen, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does say one thing here. Allah mentions that we have taken a covenant with all the prophets, that includes the prophets of the, of the Bani Israel and others, that if, وَإِذْ أَخَذَ اللَّهُ مِيثَاقَ النَّبِيِّينَ لَمَا آتَيْتُكُمْ مِنْ كِتَابٍ وَحِكْمًا ثُمَّ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مُصَدِّقٌ لِمَا مَعَكُمْ لَتُؤْمِنُنَّ بِهِ وَلَتَنْصُرُنَّ قَالَ so that's verse 81 Where Allah is saying that we took a covenant from all the prophets Right That we've given you a book, wisdom and so on If after that a messenger comes to you Who confirms everything that you stand for Then you will certainly believe in him You'll bring faith and you will assist him That is talking about Muhammad And that was actually in their books Every prophet was made to take that covenant that's why you have discussions in the Testament, Old Testament, etc., about Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, alluding to him. Not just there, but in many of the other, um, uh, what do you call it, books that claim to be divine and so on. So Allah is saying that if that is the case with your prophets, then why don't you listen? You see, the idea is that the Jews are the earliest. They were supposed to move on to the following of Isa alayhi salam, but they didn't. They stayed where they were, right? What was then relevant was following Isa alayhi salam. So those who followed him, alhamdulillah. Now after Isa the, the, again the religion became uh, changed and uh, confused and uh, um, lots of problems crept in. So now Allah sent Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So everybody should have updated and upgraded to Islam. But they didn't. So they basically stayed in the earlier versions, have not upgraded to the latest versions. And those are not being supported anymore. Right, those versions are not being supported anymore. The latest version is Islam and that will remain until the day of judgment. So that's the discussion here. Finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about, he really goes down on, on disbelief right now, speaking about all the evils of disbelief and what's going to happen and so on. But always whenever there's uh, discouragement of anything, there's always encouragement. That's why Allah says, There's always a way out. Right, except those who... Uh, except those who will repent and who uh, uh, after doing wrong and then they will reform then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always forgiving right and the merciful and the final verse is in the right that there's a severe punishment for those who do not come to the right path and they will have no assistance in the hereafter so um just to quickly round it off with a few additional points. 
Number one, as we mentioned, there are some two very profound and important verses that everybody should memorize, which is the Ayatul Kursi and the last two verses from Aman al-Rasul, right, of Surah Al-Baqarah. Then we have uh, the few stories about resurrection and coming back to life and so on. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, interaction in terms of the Dain and uh, loans and because that creates huge discord in the in the community when things go wrong like that that's why I make sure you do it then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ali Imran discusses the criterion between the truth and falsehood the miraculous birth of uh, Maryam alayhi salam her mother uh, uh, sorry Maryam alayhi salam herself dedicated to the temple and so on and then giving a lot of encouragement of how to deal with not being able to have children within that story as well uh, that try to uh, intend to have children who will inshallah become of service to the deen then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses the, the importance of oneness of Allah uh, and the corruption that had entered into the religions of Musa and Isa salam, right? and then finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us there's one verse in the very particular verse 113 uh, or rather, uh, verse uh, 175 of Ali Imran. Allah says, That even among the people of the book, don't paint them all with the one brush. Yeah, they may have their beliefs which are wrong, but in terms of their behavior, they're not all the same. Some of them you can trust with a huge amount of uh, assets and they'll give it back to you. They're very trustworthy, but then there's others that even with one dinar, you'd have to chase them, chase them, chase them, and they, they will not give it to you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions also in Surah Ali Imran later on, لَيْسُوا سَوَاءَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ أُمَّةٌ قَائِمَةٍ يَتْلُونَ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ أَنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ وَهُمْ يَسْجُدُونَ InshaAllah, we'll look at that later. And the last verse I want to just draw attention to is verse 79 of Surah Ali Imran. In the end, وَلَكِنْ كُونُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ but be Rabbaniyin, be people who are associated with their Lord, their nourisher, and do what is the best in terms of sustaining. Inshallah, maybe we can discuss that some other time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. May Allah bless you all. May Allah protect us all. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow this Ramadan to be the month of the Quran for us.